Well, good morning, guys. If you got your Bibles, you can uh, grab them, flip to Acts chapter 4 while you do that. A couple of fun things I get to share with you. Uh, number one, we ended the service last week. Hey, have you written any songs lately? I was just thinking about that. What? Have you written anything lately? Like since? No. Okay. Um, <clears throat> we'll do it. Uh, ben and I got together ages ago about a song that he had started writing, and you singing that made me think of it. Um, uh, oh, so we finished last week uh, by uh, members y'all hung around and we were attempting to vote in a couple of elders. Just wanted to let you guys feel like we should be doing a series on Nehemiah or Ezra because this wall continues to grow. We, have y'all noticed that? Like every week we get three or four more levels. Well, you can now see where the goal is. Uh, we're, we're about a foot off. So if you're like, man, I've been looking for a way to pitch in and serve the church... You can just get in touch with me afterward, and we'll, we'll find a day this week, and hopefully we will wrap that up. I think that is it. Okay, uh, Jimmy, you just got back from Kenya. Welcome back from Kenya. Excited. Don't clap for Jimmy. Uh, excited on God's word, and they feel called to lead people, and that's what this Bible school does. And he said, I'm telling them the story of Joseph. Now, if you've spent much time at all in the church, the story of Joseph is not a deep track in the Bible narrative. It's not like you really got to find the minor prophet and dig down deep in your Bible reading plan to find Joseph. The majority of the book of Genesis is on the life of Joseph. And he's sitting in this room with eight or ten guys. And he says, yeah, there's this guy named Joseph. And, and he's born. And he's his parents' favorite. And... Uh, and so his brothers, they, they really begin hating him and looking down on him. And, and one day they decide to kill him. And he's just telling the story. And all of these men are like creeping forward in their chairs. They're hanging on every word. And, and he says, yeah, they threw him into a pit. And like he has to stop teaching because they push away from the table. And they're like, brothers aren't supposed to throw brothers in a pit. You can't do that. And then Justin's like, yeah, and they were going to kill him. And they're like, you have got to be kidding me. But there were some guys coming by, so they just sold him into slavery. And they're like, no, that can't happen. And they're engaging with this story that Justin has heard a bazillion times. And as he tells it, they're hanging on every word. They get to Potiphar's wife and they lose their minds, right? Like, this isn't supposed to happen when you love God, right? It's not supposed to work this way. The dude's in prison, and how long did it take for him to get out? And they're hanging on every word. And Justin said, man, well, I was just so convicted. I don't read my Bible like that anymore. I feel like I've got so much figured out, or I know the storyline so well, or I can sort of see where Jesus is in so many places, that it's sort of become an intellectual pursuit for me. So here's my challenge for you. We're going to read a, a passage out of Acts chapter 4 that you would probably not make very many notes on in your quiet time. It probably would not have a very big heading in your journal. It would not likely be the passage that you would text to your friend and say, Hey, I feel like the Holy Spirit gave this to me for you today. This passage doesn't hit those notes. But I think, I know... It is God's word, inspired, given to us today for a reason and for a purpose. And so I am pleading and begging with you, choose to engage with God's word 
with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength today. We end up in Acts chapter 4, verse 23, because this 40-year-old guy who had been lame for 40 years all of a sudden is able to walk again because the apostles walked through. And this is where we left off last week in Acts chapter 4, verse 19. But Peter and John answered them. These were the people who were upset that they're healing people. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Verse 20, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Now this, go back, uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, go back one verse. This is going to be the key to really appreciating what we're going to read today. This passage, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. Because they're standing in the cusp of two different paths to walk. Am I going to follow status quo? Am I going to listen to the rulers of the day? Am I going to not, not shake the boat? Am I going to sort of continue to live my life and be reasonable? Or am I going to listen to God? That's where we leave off as we cascade into this. And it's important that you know this. They live in a culture where you are guilty until proven innocent. We can't even connect with that. So as the rulers are coming up to them saying, what are we going to do? How are we going to quiet these guys? Just know the burden of proof is on them. They are guilty until proven innocent. Let me read through the text and then I'll pray over us. Acts chapter 4 verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends. They reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they, their friends, heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said... Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Then they begin to quote Psalm 2. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? Why are people in vanity plotting against the God of the universe? Nobody wins that battle. Verse 26. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers are gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. They're reading Psalm 2, realizing that it's being fulfilled in their very midst. Verse 27. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles... And the, leave it here, and the peoples of Israel. Now, if you remember last week, Peter and John, we watched God stack the deck against them. All the rulers, all the scribes, all the leaders, this high priest, the whole family of the high priest. I just want you to see this, that before they ever dealt with that in Psalm 2, this is what was prophesied. That one day, the deck would so be stacked against Jesus that Herod... The one who was ruling Pontius Pilate, the arm of the law, along with the Gentiles, that means non-Jews, oh, and the people of Israel, that means all the Jews, a.k.a. the world is symbolically represented here. Everybody is against Jesus here. Verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, 
Look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Though we're guilty and cannot prove our own innocence, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And they are released to their buddies. And this is what they do. They run to their friends and they say, here is the story that we're in and I don't know how it ends. Pray with me. Father, we walk into this room not knowing how this story ends. But this is my my prayer. Would your Holy Spirit show up in such a way that the end of our day would not automatically be assumed by the beginning of our day? However it is that we drove down the driveway or pulled into the parking spot, however it is that we walked into this building, Father, my, my great prayer is that for everyone in this room who has a heart and a mind and a soul and a desire to seek you out, Father, that they would not walk through the regular motions of the day, but that you would interrupt us, that you would arrest us, that you would step into our meager lives that we tell ourselves are so vastly important. Would you step in and instead would you begin writing a script of your glory? And would you begin writing a script of us lifting up the name of Christ? Would you write a script for us that we would be men who are bold and women who have courage and when the world feels like it is against us we have nothing to fear because of the God who we know and love and know loves us God would you meet with us on an early morning and wake us and breathe life into our souls so that we would realize the beauty of Christ brought into a broken body like ours Father, would you change not just us, but the people in the pews around us and the people that we work with and live with and drive next to and walk past and may the aroma of Christ be so thick on us that it is all people remember when we come and when we go. That's somebody who loves Jesus. Would you do that for your name and your glory? I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen favorite thing about being a Christian outside of going to heaven and not going to hell I will always put that in first place the long term effects just seem like the thing to hold on to I love the adventure of being a Christian. I'm not a steady person. I do not like for Tuesday to look like Wednesday to look like Thursday. I hate it when my calendar looks the same. When I pull up my phone and it's like, oh, tomorrow looks like today, looks like yesterday. I abhor that kind of a life. One of my favorite people like to watch on YouTube is Tom Holland. And I'll tell you why I like Tom Holland. Number one, he and I'm, I'm getting faces. Did he just do something like absolutely horrible? And I'm okay, good. All right. So I love watching Tom Holland because the guy is 100% present where he is and is thinking about absolutely nothing else. And so if you, not only that, he's incredibly talented. By the way, that's Spider-Man, if y'all know who that is, in all of the newest Marvel movies. But the thing that I love about Tom Holland on YouTube is they stopped letting him do late night shows because he kept giving away the ending of Marvel movies. Have y'all seen? Y'all know what I'm talking about. And, And so like, he'd be sitting with his like, 
grown adult actors who are professionals. And this is like his first really big, big role. And he keeps like getting more movies because he's really excellent at it. And he'd just be sitting there talking. And he would give away a spoiler like, yeah, that person's not dead. Or, yeah, that's going to be the next movie in the franchise. And he kept getting in so much trouble that they wouldn't let him do solo interviews. And they would put other people next to him like Chris Hemsworth to be like, cover the mouth, cover the mouth, cover the I love that guy that he just keeps giving away the spoilers but this is why I like it what Marvel has done in a number of their movies and other other uh, movies do this as well is they don't give the actors the full script all right y'all have been a little docile this morning so I'm, I'm gonna ask a lot of you I just want you to raise your hand raise your hand if you knew that they made movies where actors don't always get the entire script I just need to know okay good all right some of y'all are breathing good all right I love that concept because that's the life of the Christian. I know the beginning. I know the end. But I have no clue what the script of God has for me today. To put it in, a, in another movie reference is, is today when, put yourself in the, is today when the romantic interest comes in? Is today when the new challenge presents itself in the script? It, it, is today the last day of shooting? That's what I'm saying. Is today your last day? I don't know. I could be with Jesus in 12 hours. I could be with Jesus in 12 minutes. It'd be a little bit of a hullabaloo in this room. But it could happen. And I'm on board with that. I'm 100% on board with that. Is today the day that there's a massive plot twist in your life? We don't know. I am sure that the story is good. I am sure that the author knows what he's doing. That the director has a plan and I am on board for it. But I have no clue what my next line is going to be. And as we read this text, let me just give you a spoonful of hope and encouragement. We are reading a text where those who are in power, those who are following the norms of the day, buckle under the will of the people and they show that they are actually weak. And those who are marginalized and persecuted, band together in spite of those who are in power and they show their strength and their willingness to go to prison, their willingness to praise God in the midst of it, to tell the truth and to say, whether I'm supposed to listen to you or trust God, you judge me, but I have already made my call. It legitimized their message. Now, Peter and John were lions of men. They were not timid. They were not scared. Peter was hot-headed as all get out. John had the biggest heart. And here is what we see in the life of the early Christians. When difficulty arises, the first thing the early church does is band together. When difficulty arises, the first thing the early church does is band together. All right, so take a look in your Bibles at verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends. I love this. The first thing that we see the early church do is they gather together. When they're released and their, uh, their end is unknown, they go to their friends, verse 23, and report what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together. That's in verse 24. Throw that one up real quick. 
I want you to see this word together because I think it's massively important. When they heard it, in other words, when their friends heard that life was going south for them, they band together and together they begin to lift their voices. Now, I, I think you guys know this. Good communities know how to share heavy loads. That is a, a definition of what a good community is. Good communities know how to share heavy loads. But here's the thing. Throw that slide up. I think there's one up there. Bruner, I completely forgot to grab the iPad on the way up here. So it's 100% on you right now. Nope. Yep. Okay. This is one of the big three of Midtree. A community that shepherds one another through the delights and difficulties of life. Good communities share heavy loads. All of you should be head nodding when I say that. It's true of any good community, we share heavy loads. But what I find beautiful about this passage is that center concept. Good communities know how to share heavy loads. I'm not asking you, do you agree theologically that a good community helps one another out? All of you are going to be like, oh yeah, yeah, like, duh, church, it's good, let's go. I'll cry in a corner somewhere. Someone will come and pray for me. It's going to be a beautiful thing. Right, you know that. If you have walked through difficulty and you're not completely alone in your life, you probably haven't wanted to go through that alone. You've gone to your closest friend or your closest person or a small group of people and you've wrapped them in because the burden seems too heavy. Take it to little stuff. You're about to move. That's when you find out who your friends are, right? I, I was on a text thread with a couple of guys, and one of them said, uh, hey guys, good news, I found a house, I'm going to move. And before they said anything else, the next text that came up was, sorry, I'm out of town that weekend. They didn't even tell them what weekend it was. It was like, yeah, I'm gone. Whenever it is, I'll be sure that I'm not there. My point in this passage is not good communities share heavy loads. My question is, do you know how to do that biblically? What would be your guess? Some of us would go with the natural stuff. Community, that's a church word, just throw that out there. Prayer, prayer, Bible, prayer, Bible, Jesus, right? Now give me a Jolly Rancher. That's how it worked for me when I was growing up. Prayer, Bible, Jesus, church, God, Holy Spirit. You never really said Holy Spirit because we didn't grow up Pentecostal. Uh, and, and so you didn't, get, you didn't get candy for Holy Spirit. But that's how you grow up. You just throw these words up. But do you know how? When difficulty arises, the first thing the early church does is band together. Now, I want you to look in your text. Uh, go to verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon. All right, don't read on because we're not there yet. From verse 23 all the way to 29, they don't ask God for anything. Somehow, for the vast majority of the passages in this text, while these guys don't know if they're breathing their last breaths, if they're not going to see the next day, they get all the way from 23 to 29 before they ever ask God for anything. So how are they sharing these heavy loads? The first thing that they do is not pray. That's not what we see. The first thing that they do is they get together with their friends and they worship. Now, I just want you to run this through the way you typically 
deal with difficulty or how you would. Typically, if we don't deal with it ourselves because we realize that good communities share heavy loads, we go to someone for what? Help? We go to somebody for prayer? We go to somebody, you're missing the big, you're missing one of the big, we go to someone for advice. Hey man, look, I, I'm here, I, I was, uh, I was uh, at the Wilbanks group, and we were watching uh, one of the videos for Until Unity, the, the book that we're working through as a church. And Francis Chan came on, and he's talking in his like voice, you know how Francis Chan does. And it's everything he says has 100% of his feelings in it. And so he's like doing his thing. And he says, whenever I preach in the third world, at the end, people come up to me and they say, Pastor, will you pray for me? Whenever I go to America and I preach, people come up and they want to tell me their story and they want me to give them advice. In the third world, they want the power of God. In the first world, they want some advice, some counsel, and just to share their story with you. And he said, I think that's important. I think it tells us something about ourselves. And that is It is hard to worship in difficult times. It's much easier for us to just say, hey, will will you just give me some advice? So then I'm off the hook. I can either do it, and if it works out, great. Will you just give me some advice? We don't see that anywhere in this text. We see them do two things. They worship and they pray. I'm not going to spend a ton of time on prayer because quite honestly, I think you guys as a church do that well. I think that the church in America does that pretty well. They absolutely pray. What I want you to realize is they worship together. What would it look like if you went to someone with a difficulty and before they spoke, you said this, I don't want you to give me any advice. I just want you to listen. Now it sounds like a husband and a wife, doesn't it? Don't give me any advice. I just want you to listen right now. You do that, and then they say, okay, can I pray for you? And you say, yes, but I've been reading Acts chapter 4, and I think there's something missing in our theology of sharing loads. I want you to pray with me, but can we worship first? Can we put on some Shane and Shane or something Can can we just press play on a song and sing it together? Can can we semi-awkwardly be in the same room without a band? And can we just sing with our voices raised the goodness of God together? Because I think what I need now is not advice. I need to be reminded of who God is and that I'm not alone And believing that, I'm telling you, it'll change the way you process difficulty. They gather together. Now look, throw up verse 29 again. We're still not there. They're still not about to ask God for anything. And now, Lord, look upon. We're not there. Here's the second thing that the early church does. When difficulty arises, the first thing the early church does is they band together. And they're not looking for advice. They're praying, sure, but they're worshiping together. I double dog dare challenge you to worship with someone the next time difficulty arises. And now I'm going to show you how they did it. The second thing the early church does is recall who God is. Verse 24. And when they, their friends, 
heard this story, they lifted their voices together to God, beautiful, and they said, Sovereign Lord. And I told you the key to understanding this entire passage was Peter and John saying, look, whether we're supposed to listen to you or listen to God, you judge us for how we're going to act, but I am only able to tell people of what I have seen and heard. This is them flexing that muscle. Uh, Bruner, I added something to the slides while you were up here practicing worship, but it's the Greek word for what we see here in Sovereign Lord, and and the word here is despotes. I, I highlighted it for you. So this is the Greek of that word, Sovereign Lord. It's the first word in the prayer that they pray in the worship song that they sing. And let me tell you why I think this is so massively important. When Jesus taught them how to pray, he said, pray then like this, our Father who art in heaven. They deviate. Ooh, rebels, okay? They deviate. They don't pray to God as Father. They use this word, despotes. And what's amazing about that is the word means an absolute ruler. Just so you know, you don't know anyone who fits that word. There is no one, no president of the United States or commander of an army or a leader in the UN or NATO. There is no one on the planet who ever has nor ever had as hard as Genghis Khan tried or Alexander the Great tried or Rome and its great expansion. No human being has ever been able to hold that word as a title. And this is why I think they pray it. Every ruler, every leader, every force, every soldier is against two guys that are a part of a movement that is just starting to begin. And they cry out and they say, O one who rules it all, sovereign Lord. And then they begin in Psalm chapter 2. Now, I tend to move pretty quick. So in my notes, I put slow down for this. I would like everybody to look at Psalm chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we've got them tucked into the pew. If uh, you have your phone, that's fine. You can get on our Wi-Fi, Midtree Church. The password is Behold, Believe, Become. No caps. Yes, it is. Is it really not working? I'm not giving them the staff one. I'm just giving them the church one. Ha, you wish you could get on the staff one. That's where all the bandwidth is. All right. Get, download a Bible app. Get something. I want everybody looking at Psalm chapter 2. Now, the reason I want you looking here is because it's too much really for me to put on the screen quickly. And I think there's something beautiful about us tethering our hearts to the pages occasionally. So if you look in verse 1, you're going to see the exact same thing that we see in Acts 4. It is a direct quote. These people are gathering together in the midst of difficulty and they are worshiping God through song. What is their song book? It is the book of Psalms. And where do they turn to worship? Well, the Holy Spirit leads them here. Verse 1 of Psalm 2. Why do the nations rage? 
Why do the peoples plot in vain? This is despotes. This is the absolute ruler of the entire universe. Why would any nation, why would any people, why would any, verse 2, the kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed? They're saying, what sense does this make? You cannot go against the one who created all things. My favorite verse of the day, verse 4. God, he who sits in heaven, laughs. All of the greatest schemes of the greatest rulers and the greatest military leaders, God sits back on his throne as they try to overthrow the story that he has already written in the blood of his son. And every time they try to turn it, every time they try to break the will of God, every time they try to squash the church, every time they try to silence the movement of the Holy Spirit, here is all God ever has to do. Giggle at their foolishness. You are not going to stop the absolute ruler of the universe. This is why when it comes to the death of Christ, it is not a surprise for us as believers to read in Acts. You can do everything that the Lord has put in your hand to do against Christ. In fact, it uses the word predestined. Your greatest attempt to overthrow the absolute ruler, despotus of the universe, God wrote before you even knew the script. Verse 7, he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them. Why would they love to sing this song? Because the rulers were trying to terrify Peter and John. And they're reading this and they're like, rulers are the ones to be worried about. They're trying to scare me, but my God is going to terrify them. And then the red thread that runs through the whole Bible, Genesis to Revelation, verse 7. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Who is the begotten son? Who are they pointing to here? Christ. Verse 8. Ask of me. I will make the nations your heritage. He doesn't say I'll make a nation or a people or a group. He says every single country will bow. Who is this talking about? King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 10. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. There are two ways to follow Christ, to perish or to take refuge. Unless I'm completely missing it. And I don't think I am. But I am preaching right now. Just became a reality to somebody in this room. And they had to walk out. When difficulty steps in. What does the body of Christ do? band together 
and they worship God. Karen Ann, am I correct? Where I just saw, did you? Hey, am I correct in my assumption? Okay, will you just run out and then run back in for me real quick because it's going to change how we end this. Because the Holy Spirit may be retooling this, let me show you something that I want you to walk out of here with. Look at verse 25. Bruner, will you put up the slide uh, where it's got the three verses side by side? Thanks. Uh-oh, tech issues. You're going to have to trust me on the third one. Oh, there we go. Before they go to God and ask him for anything in verse 29, this is what we see God's people do. They look at God and they say, you made the heavens. You spoke by the Holy Spirit. Your power does what it decided in advance to do. I want you to pick a difficulty in your life right now. It doesn't matter to me what it is. It can be big. It can be small. It can be loss. It can be being overwhelmed. It can be difficulty with a kid, difficulty with a relationship. I'm just going to give you five seconds. I want you to pick one, and I want you to have it solid in your mind. I'm going to pick being overwhelmed because that's just my world right now. It just feels like it's too much to do, not enough time, not enough energy, not enough anything. That's where I'm at. Here is what we see the early church do. Number one, they recall who created everything. You made this. Now, when I'm overwhelmed or take your own situation, if I'm overwhelmed because my life just seems too big and I can't get my arms wrapped around it, and the first thing that this group of people does, this is the toolbox for how we gather together, how we support one another. Before they ask God for anything, they recall who created everything. I can be here, overwhelmed in my world, and I can look out of these windows and I can realize that the God who designed every tree who tells each leaf when its color should change, who knows every bird that will fly by and the one who's been trying to build a nest in our sanctuary, when he knows every blade of grass and where it is supposed to be, my feelings of overwhelmedness shrink right down. Because God is despot as he is the absolute ruler over all. The second thing that we see is you spoke Before I ask God for anything, I'm going to recall who it is that reveals truth. Who it is that says what is true regardless of what I am feeling, regardless of what I am experiencing, regardless of what is trying to lead and turn my heart. And then finally we see this, verse 28. They did what your power, this is speaking about the bad guys by the way. They did what your power and your will had decided beforehand. They remember who guides all of history. Karen Ann? Yep, okay. Uh, Bruner, is there a little slide that says recall, recall, recall? I'll, I'll put this up this week or something for you guys to, to jot this down. This is a toolkit verse. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I told y'all this is not the stuff that makes coffee mugs or that you text to people. This is what the early church did before they ever asked God for anything. That's what they did. They remember who created everything, who revealed truth, and who guides history. Can I tell you 
that if this is the process you will go through before you ask God for stuff, it's going to change the stuff you ask for. It's going to change, hey, God, fix this, bring comfort in this, make this better, to you saying, what if I need difficulty to be applied to me? What if what the best thing is that could happen for my life in the story of Christ's name being lifted high is my being thrown in prison, is my being overwhelmed, is my walking through depression, is my going through great loss? Because if that is the case, I know who made it all. I know who tells me what is true. I know who's in charge of history. Use my life to point to Jesus because I can trust that my past, your difficulty, no matter how dark or scary or frustrating or broken it is, it has never for one moment been outside of the hand of God. It changes what you pray for. And this is how the early church viewed God. And then finally we get to verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. Physically, the building began to move. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, freshly. And they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. When they finally asked God, based on all of those correct motives, when they gathered together and they band together, when they realize how they're supposed to support one another, when they do not need to be the main character of their story, but they are glad to die a death that propels the message of Christ. God moves. He confirms his goodness to them. He strengthens them in their weakness. And he assures them of his goodness. I want you to remember this when you walk out of here because I know my people. I know you. Y'all are really smart. You are. I'm giving you a compliment. This is not an underhanded remark. I'm not about to say, but you're dummies sometimes. You're not. You're really smart people. One of the hardest things about people connecting with Midtree, and I lament it, and I love it at the same time. This happened at our house. We had some folks over for pancakes, and we're just talking over the table. And somebody came up to my wife and was like, just so you know, this church thing is new to us. We don't know the big words. We don't know all of the concepts. And it can be an intimidating thing to walk into a building where people are like, yes, systematic theology sits on my toilet. I've got to stay sharp. That's who you are, okay? Just own it. But here's what I want you to realize out of this text. Good theology warms the heart. It doesn't sterilize it. I want you to remember who John was, this guy. John and Luke, this is going to appear. You don't have to flip there. Luke 9, 52. This is one of the stories of John. One of my favorites. 
since I've been here before emotionally. Jesus sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people didn't receive him. Those Samaritans, they were always so difficult because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, there's our guy, okay? When John saw that Jesus was marginally rejected. What do I mean by that? Hey, can you not take this road? It goes to our city. Can you just kind of go around? That's the level of rejection we're talking about. We're not talking about Acts chapter 4. We're not talking about Herod. We're not talking about Pontius Pilate. We're not talking about all the Gentiles. We're not talking about all of the Israelites. We're not talking about the begotten son being ripped apart so that you could have the forgiveness of your sin. We're having Jesus not take the highway. Here's John's response. Lord, you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and burn him up? Love that guy. We have paid for our sun pass, and we are taking it. Or we're just going to burn them all up. That's John. And now, as he is about to be thrown in prison, he doesn't know how his life is going to end. He bands together with a group of people, and he worships the absolute ruler this becomes that guy's redeemed prayer. Verse 30. God, would you stretch out your hand to heal so that signs and wonders are performed in the name of Christ. He's not calling for a consuming fire. He's not even calling for sparks. He's looking at these people who want to end him so that they can keep their teeny little privileged position for a moment in a place on this globe. And he says, would you heal them? Would you show them the begotten son? Show them Jesus. Because when difficulty arises, the first thing the early church does is they band together. The second thing the early church does God is. And the third thing the early church does is love their enemies. You're going to struggle with number three if you don't get number one and two right. And then they pray, and God shakes the place. Because the guy who would have quickly ended someone for an inconvenience will now lay down his own life for that enemy's healing. God looks down and says, John, you finally got it. You finally found Christ in the midst of a group of people who band together. And the thing that draws us together is not who we root for on a Saturday. I know that for a fact. I went to a game last night. The thing that draws us together is not where we shop or who we follow on Instagram. The thing that draws us together is that bread and that juice sitting on a table waiting for us to enjoy today if we're Christians. We have people in this room who are hurting and they need prayer. We have people in this room who are celebrating God's goodness. We have people who have had to leave the room because the script that they expected for today has changed in this. So what do we do? 
get the guys to go ahead and bring the communion elements. But let me say this. This is not for people who attended Mitri this Sunday. This is for those of you who are family through faith and have trusted in Christ. If you have not done that yet, that's okay. We're glad that you're here. But I would love to meet with you. I'll be, uh, actually, I'll be right over there where the guys are grabbing stuff from. I would love to pray, pray with you. Prayer, by the way, doesn't mean that your life is completely in shambles. Maybe you just need encouragement. Maybe you want to stand next to somebody and praise God together. Whatever it is, I will be over there and Anne-Marie will be over there. Communion, that one's gluten-free. If you have uh, if you have an allergy, this uh, Ethan's over the gluten-free one. Um, communion is for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. And the Bible actually says, before you do this, make sure that you're right with the people around you. So if there's somebody that you need to go and encourage or you need to go and forgive, Bennett, you know what, two or three songs, you probably know more than one. Yep. We'll keep playing. And then as the Holy Spirit leads you, come and receive the bread and receive the juice and take it back to your seat. But don't take it yet. Because a healthy community bands together and they know how to do that. And we want to take this together as a sign of our unity in Christ. And Jimmy will come and lead us in that us out. Stand with me and let me pray over us. God, you are so abundantly good. We stand here in front of us with what we call the elements or the bread or the juice, but we know what it is. It is pointing to a broken body of Christ that turns enemies into friends. It is blood that flowed from his side that redeems those put their faith and trust in you and simply ask, even in prayer, silently now, that you would forgive them of their sins. Father, we realize that this that is in front of us is the greatest uniting force on the planet and beyond into the universe, the broken body of Christ. And so, on the one hand, may we not receive it lightly. On the other hand, may we not receive it without celebration because of what you have done. So, Father, draw us together as you draw us nearer to yourself. And Father, if there are people in this room who need to be told that they can worship through difficulty, if they just need to be reminded to band together, if they know those who are hurting, Father, we pray for Laura and we pray for her family. We worship you today knowing that you hold all history in your hand. Father, as we 